Woo! All right, Kirk. The time has come. We're reviewing Venom. We are. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, just mentioned at the box office performance. Stellar stuff. Huge performance. And we are going to talk about it right now. I have no idea whose turn it is to synops. I think it's me. I, I Yes, it is. I synops big. I synopsed big. So, Kirk, you are up on this one, and then I will synopse the mini saints of Newark when we get into that review. Beautiful, beautiful. This movie picks up pretty much immediately after we left our anti-hero, Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy. He is going through a bit of a transition uh, as his uh, very, very um, different lifestyle uh, really, really takes hold here. And look at that thing. Look at it over there. Yeah, look buddy. Look at that guy. It's beautiful. And you see, what we what we have in Venom is a continued relationship, a growing relationship between the parasitic um, Venom in connection to uh, Eddie Brock. We get uh, we get some some glimpses at the previous story. We get some cool flashbacks, but ultimately, Eddie Brock has to rebuild his life, reshape his life once more with Venom as a part of him. Um, so he decides that he's going to take this, you know, take this story from the serial killer who is just nutso played by Woody Harrelson. And it turns out that uh, it, Venom is a pretty good detective and solves uh, a very, very old unsolved murder of Mr. Woody Harrelson's, which allows the state to put Woody Harrelson to death uh, to approve his execution, but not before Woody Harrelson can bite into uh, Eddie Brock himself, getting his revenge, uh, his, his one, his final punch, if you will. And we walk through this world of who is Eddie Brock without Venom, who is Venom without Eddie Brock, uh, how they were a perfect pair, or are they? Uh, who controls who? Lots of different fun things, all with the just uh, crazy antics that we have seen in the first film that are off the wall, that catch you by surprise, that make you shake your head and question why you're watching the movie. But then in some way, shape or form, it makes you say, I buy this. I buy this and I'll watch it again. That's Venom. Let there be. Let carnage. there be carnage. Great synopsis, Kirk. And yeah, we're going to talk about the acting performances, the production. For those of you that are new to our reviews, we're going to, we're going to break it down the way we normally do. And then at the end, Kirk, we got to talk about that, that post credit scene, mid credit scene situation oh, we had going oh. on. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes, we will. All right. So let's we talk will, about it now for anyone who's listening. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> we will talk about it at the end. By the way, all of our, all of our reviews these days are spoiler full. Okay. So if you haven't seen the movie and you're afraid of spoilers, Go watch the movie first and then come back and listen to this. But yes. before we get into that juicy post credit scene, let's talk about the acting performances. And Kirk, I want to know who you're giving your Oscar to. Oh my goodness. I am re-reviewing the cast list because this is a tough one. Uh, obviously, we have our, our heavy hitters, uh, Mr. Tom Hardy and Mr. Mr. Woody Harrelson. But there are some, just some incredible performances in this, despite it being what the movie it is. Uh, <laughs> and that's not, that's not a dig. That's not a dig, even though it very much so sounds like one. I'm going to give my Oscar to Woody Harrelson, Ooh. who plays Cletus Cassidy, um, also plays 
Carnage. He becomes Carnage. Um, I've seen Woody Harrelson in a number of roles, a number of roles. He has been around for much longer than we'd like to admit. Um, I, I don't really remember his resurgence, um, but I mean, maybe it was Hunger Games. Uh, maybe it was... Um, uh, who knows? Who knows what Zombie Land? I think <laughs> this could have probably. been Zombie Land. Zombie Land and Hunger Games were the big ones. But he is just in everything. He's like he's like Nick Nicholas Cage, but he's uh, he's not like in his own little island. He's like front and center, um, playing leading men, and you know, just really destroying it. True Detective, like Woody Harrelson in this film, did something very different uh, because it would be very easy to just phone this performance in. You're the bad guy in uh, a Sony <laughs> film, uh, not part of the MCU. Uh, and he just really went for it. He really did. Uh, and I just, I'm so sad to tell everyone that he gets his head bitten off by the end of this film. Um, maybe we'll see him in some other kind of iteration because in all superhero movies, no one's really dead. But it was very, uh, that just t- told me how well he did. It was that cathartic that when he dies at the end of this film of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I was actually a little devastated. I was a little devastated. So Woody Harrelson takes it for me. He had such great nuances. He had such uh, legitimate um study for this character bravo nice job kirk nice nice pick we'll see if we'll see if woody harrelson gets revisited again in my picks but for first i am going with mr tom hardy i'm giving my oscar to tom hardy our leading leading actor uh you know the voice of both eddie brock and venom and that's the part i really want to focus on because i thought that where they clearly focused a lot of their effort on this movie was on the Eddie Brock Venom relationship and dialogue. And I know that Tom Hardy was heavily involved in the writing process this time around. And I have to imagine this is where he spent the lion's share of his time is building out that relationship. And it was great. The banter between them was fantastic. And his delivery as Venom was noticeably much better. More dynamic this time, great timing. Venom sort of becomes the comedic punch for this whole movie, even more so than he was in the first. And the way that Tom Hardy interacts with Venom and the way that Tom Hardy voices Venom is really well done in this movie. I think it I think it makes the movie, and I think that it's just a, a real testament to the work that Tom Hardy put in to make sure that this relationship feels genuine, to make sure that his, you know, portrayal as Venom, you know, it, it would be hard to, like, portray Venom. It's an absurd voice and an absurd character. You have to say all these crazy lines, but if you don't deliver it in the exact right way that Venom would, you have you run the risk of ruining the character, Um that really is the backbone of the whole thing. He's the main character in a way. So he did a stellar job. It's clear that he put a ton of work into it and it, and it way paid off. So Tom Hardy is, is my Oscar for his portrayal of both Eddie Brock and Venom, but especially Venom where I thought he was really good. Beautiful. And a lot of times he sounded like Bane. (laughs) There were a few times he sounded like Bane and I was like, Oh, Oh, there's that voice. Uh, but it, you know, it's it's his voice, so it is what it is. But that uh, it, the performance was still really good. 
Yes. All right, moving on to Scene Stealer, Kirk, what was the surprise performance for you or the the lesser performance that you want to give some flowers to? I got to give my flowers to Tom Hardy. Um, like you said, uh, just, I mean, he's he's the he's the ma- main guy, but Woody Harrelson just came, came in there just like a, I don't know, like a veteran. I don't think there's much age difference between them, maybe like eight. I guess that's kind of a lot, but <laughs> Tom Hardy, you did a fantastic recovery of Venom 1 where I could barely understand Venom's voice at times um, so much that the only way I found out what was going on in Venom 1 was by watching subtitles to see uh, what the plot of the movie was uh, uh, cohesively. I thought that that relationship was very very well done. Just like you said, Cam, uh, it had to be because of the writing, having his, uh, ability to just take on that role and not being, not relying on anything else, but maybe even improving some stuff where he could say, hold on, hold on, let's write this down. I'm going to say this. He's going to say this. We'll record it later. Uh, but Tom Hardy, um, he went into Bane, he went into his, uh, his native, uh, accent. And there were, there were times when he went into the Venom one Eddie Brock, which that voice for that American, not great, but his, his voice when he had it locked in for Eddie Brock was very good. So a little bit messy, uh, but there within the rest of the cast, there's no one else who deserves this, uh, this award right here. As far as I'm concerned, Mr. Tom Hardy. Thank you. Yes, good choice. And Kirk, we've officially flip flopped because I I am going with Woody Harrelson for my for my seed stealer. Uh, so Andy Serkis is the director of this film. He's he's a newer uh, director on the scene, but he has uh, just a crap load of acting credits. Like you, if you ever want to have a really good good fun, uh, just go on Andy Serkis's IMDb page and see all of his acting credits because the amount of roles that he's done in full mocap would blow your mind. <laughs> He's played tons of animated characters or fully CG'd characters in, you know, live action movies and things like that. He's very seasoned. And this movie had Andy Serkis's fingerprints all over it. And I think the, um, you're probably like, why are you talking about Andy Serkis? I thought you were trying to talk about Woody Harrelson. I'm getting <laughs> to that. And what I'm getting to is that Woody Harrelson clearly executed the Andy Circus vision to the fullest extent and with no regard for anything else. No shame. He just went for it. He was zany. He was unhinged. He was exactly what he needed to be to make this movie work. And the whole tone and feel of the movie is slightly off kilter in a very Andy Circus sort of way. Um, it's funny how much his acting sort of mimics you know, the types of roles that he does sort of mimics his style as a director. It's clear that that's just sort of woven into him. But he needed his villain, Woody Harrelson, one of the two villains in this movie, to go all out. You know, he, the movie's called Let There Be Carnage. He's Carnage. He's a big name, big money actor. And he needed him to to execute the vision to the fullest extent. And he did. He did. He went He went crazy. The tone you know, of his character was wild, funny at times. Um, and he just totally leaned into this role as hard as he possibly could to make it work. And, and he did. So I was very impressed. Um, I was nervous about this. I was nervous about this role for Woody Harrelson and some of the performance materials. I was like, oh, gosh, what is this going to be? Is this going to yeah. be embarrassing? Is this going to be good? And I didn't know, but I'm happy to report that I, I really enjoyed it, honestly. 
Yeah, I think it was mostly the wig in the post credit scene. Oh my lord! Yeah, thank God they they fixed that, man. Thank goodness that like that would have been so bad. Really rough times, really rough times. But bravo, you you pulled it together, Woody. That's right. All right, let's move on to Showstopper. What Mm -hmm. you got? This one uh, came very easily to me. Um, It's the music. It's the score of this film. It was really, um, uh, how do you say it, uh, bopping. It was a bop, guys. Uh, it was, it was creative. It was, um, it was its own character, which is what you hope for in a score. And what we saw in this is that there were moments of kind of jumbled uh, scenes, jumbled, rushed scenes, uh, very, I don't know, not planned out scenes at times. And the music is what strung it all together because it was spot on. It's exactly what it needed to be. I mean, it it was as if there was an organist in the theater with us because it was so loud, um, but not deafening. So I I just got to give all the credit to whoever put that score together. I have no idea who did it, but it was really, really wonderful. I would not be surprised if we see some, some score knowledge for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't know. It was that good. It really did a great job for me. Yeah, it's a great call out. It's it's uh it's Mark Marco Beltrami who did the who did the score for this, who has composed a ton of films and some really good ones, uh, including Snowpiercer, The Wolverine. <sighs> Uh, he did a quiet place. He did all of the Fear Street movies. He did Come on. Um, Ford versus Ferrari, which had really good music. He's done a ton, a ton, a ton of different stuff, and it's always solid. I think it's a great call out. Um, so yeah, a, a composing award. We'll see. We'll see a nomination. Who knows? Um, but I agree. I think the music was really good. So good call out, Kirk. Thank you. All right, for my showstopper, I'm going with the character dev. I feel like the movie, um, this movie succeeded where the first one failed and failed where the first one succeeded, actually. It was sort of a complete flip-flop. Um, this movie certainly follows what is becoming increasingly common in second films with uh, within the comic book movie genre, which is, you know... Hero becomes angry with superhero life. Hero renounces superhero life and powers. Hero once again finds out that he needs to be a superhero and, uh, you know, kind of rekindles his love for being a superhero. We, we even saw it in James Bond. I mean, you, you see this, this trope sort of worked out in, in movies like this these days. Same thing here. Only difference is his powers are, uh, you know, a living organism, <laughs> a symbiotic uh, parasite for lack of a better term. So, um, that was very much what was going on, but it, it allowed for some really good character development moments. I thought the, like I said earlier, the venom Eddie Brock relationship was the strength and backbone of this entire movie. When, when the plot was crazy and not making much sense and the, the, the pace of this movie is torrid. I mean, it is fast. It's a, it's a tight 90 minutes and it is like pedal to the metal the whole time so when things were getting a little wild and unhinged their relationship really pulled it back together i thought our villains were well written from a plot perspective and well executed um the the like detective that comes into the fold in this movie was well written from a story perspective as well so i just thought they did a really good job on the character work and even though i thought the plot of the movie was 
um, you know, at times a little bit wacky, the characters were solid throughout and, and it helped, helped carry the movie and it was well paced, which helped, which helped as well. Like I said, really, really fast movie. So, um, that's, that's my showstopper. All righty. Nice. Moving on, Kirk. Let's talk about scene steal or not scene stealer. Director shoes. Like I said, Andy Circus is our director. He hasn't directed very many feature films and certainly hasn't directed one as high profile as this film. So, Kirk, any notes for Mr. Circus? Yes. Since I have directed more films than him, I'm happy to report on this. Very, very happy to. There, there was some. I don't know if this was necessarily the storytelling of the script. Or his, but we never got a clear guidance into what was going on with him and Michelle Williams, who plays Anne. We get this kind of almost like a divorced couple uh, relationship between him and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna slap Dan you know as Venom. Dan is uh, Anne's fiance. I'm gonna you know tell tell her I'm happy for it for you, but I really well you know I really hope that it doesn't work out. Um, you, you know that that relationship should be pretty tight. It should be pretty clear. And it was not for me. So their, their relationship, I need Eddie and Anne to be a little bit stronger for the stakes to be that much higher. We see her run around and save him. You know, there's, uh, there's part of it there. That part comes from the script, but from the direction side, I don't think that I got enough of, uh, you know, lingering glances like I do to camera often. And we didn't get, uh, really any scenes together by themselves other than the rescue scene and the scene at the very beginning when they're in the restaurant, which is a very silly scene, uh, which I did not enjoy. I feel like the quips between Venom and Eddie Brock went way, went on way too long. Um, I had hoped that that would have been shorter or more concise, uh, but it was very, it was very just kind of random for me, very kind of random for me. So those aside, can't wait for you to hear my score. Yes. Yes, I can't wait as well. Um, I, I agree with you on, I, I'm not going to call it out in my uh, director shoes. So yeah, I, I feel like I want to mention that I agree with you on the uh, the Michelle Williams situation and Dan, Dan and Anne, like felt altogether unnecessary and, and mostly forced for the, for the majority of this film, I would say. Like they felt like they had to have them in there almost and just didn't know how or when to incorporate them in a way. So it was, uh, it was a little bit clunky there, but for my director shoes, I'm going with basically the, I don't know the premise <laughs> in a way, I guess like my big problem with this movie is, and there, I have a few issues with it, but the biggest problem I have is that it feels really inconsequential and, and pointless. Like it feels like, why did we even do this? So they introduce a massive villain. If you think about Venom, you think about Carnage as a comic book fan. You just do. They're sort of linked together in that way. And and everybody wanted Carnage in the second film. And so let me tell you what this movie feels like to me. And maybe this isn't even a note for Andy Serkis, but maybe a note for Sony, Sony Motion Pictures. It feels like... They were like, all right, guys, we got to do a sequel to Venom, and we got to do it quickly because the Spider-Man stuff is at high market value right now, and we want to keep churning this out. Now, we don't want to go too crazy because we don't know what the future holds for these characters, but we definitely want to get more Venom content out there because people like it. 
etc. So let's do a movie that's a tight 90. It's fast. It's loud. It's very superhero-y. And let's get out of there as safely as humanly possible. And that's what this movie feels like to me. And as a result, you get to the end and you're like, what was the point of that? Outside of advancing the plot, outside of advancing the relationship of Venom and Eddie slightly forward. I wouldn't even say that they made huge leaps in that relationship, but they do develop slightly. This movie doesn't really accomplish anything. And, you know, I am presuming they will bring Carnage back, so that's fine. But if we're going based on what happened in this movie, they introduced a huge villain, like the hugest villain that you can introduce in the Venom films, and got rid of him all in the same movie. So it's just like... Man, could can we not? Like, could we have, if we were going to make it totally like inconsequential film, can we use a different villain? Can we do it a different way, etc.? It just felt a little too safe and and not necessary altogether, I would say. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really, that's where I really struggle with it. All right. With that being said, let's move on to final thoughts and scores. Kirk, you have the floor, my friend. Final thoughts and scores. This is a fantastic film to see in the theater. I would imagine that it's still fun to watch at home, but you know, you get th- that music just blaring. Uh, maybe you have a better sound system than me. Maybe you do. Stop bragging. Weird flex. But I gotta impress upon you that there is something so perfect about this movie on the screen, uh, on the big screen, in a crowd of people because. It's very easy to pass on a lot of jokes that get written if you're at home blowing nose, uh, blowing nose, blowing air out of your nose uh-huh. uh, for for this for this type of and style of movie. This is definitely better than the first. I told Cam that walking out of the theater, I said it's better than the first. Um, I stand to that. That stands true several days later. That does not happen with, has not happened with any DC movie since The Dark Knight. So bravo, well done uh, to uh, to, to Marvel uh, because it also felt a little like a DC movie, which is weird because it's Sony, um, it's the same character properties, but Sony is not the MCU. Uh, It's not, it's not that caliber and it's very much in Disney's, you know, camp for, for this movie. But the, the, the saving grace is that you have some all-star actors in this. Would I watch this again? Yes. Will I watch it more than twice? Probably not. Will I tell people to go see it? Yes. This movie gets a 6.4 out of 10 kernels for me. Solid, solid score for sure. Um, yeah, all good points. Um, so for me, I, you know, as far as, you know, you always have to compare the sequel to its predecessor. I was higher on the first Venom movie than more than most people because, like I said earlier, I think this movie fails where the first movie succeeds and succeeds where the first movie fails. Where I feel like the first movie succeeded was creating a good origin story, you know, narrative from, from start to finish. Where I feel like it didn't succeed was character development. Like, I felt like the the plot was good and it all made sense and was cohesive and was paced well, but the character development felt clunky, whereas this one was the opposite of that. So I feel like they're closer in, in range to me. This is, you know, even amongst the superhero genre, this is not high tier for me. Like you said, uh, you know, this feels like a DC film in terms of quality, 
a good DC film, I would say, honestly, more than more so than most that we get these days. But um, you know, it it doesn't feel like the MCU. The MCU tonally is very different. That's not necessarily a bad thing that this movie has a different tone and aesthetic, but also just like the quality of story, acting, production value, everything is just it's it's not there. It's not at the MCU level. Um, I thought that the the pace was really fast, which I was thankful for because I, I don't think they could have gone <laughs> much longer with this movie. But even still, there were times where I was looking at, down at my watch to be like, okay, how far are we? When's this going to be over? Just because I was like, okay, I know where this is going. It's a little predictable. It's a little clunky. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the the Eddie Brock and Venom section, but like their their bits, but mostly was just give or take on the other stuff. So for me, it's a 5.2 out of 10. Uh, I thought it could have been better. I've seen a lot of really positive buzz about it, which frankly I'm, I'm somewhat surprised about, especially after the way people treated the first movie. But um, yeah, I, you know, Kirk, when we look at Venom as a commercial property, I question it because, well, first of all, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about that post credit scene, right? Let's so. I guess it's technically a mid credit scene, but the big, the big reveal and, and probably honestly, in my opinion, the best, the best part of the movie is that at the end, Venom and Eddie Brock are, you know, taking a vacation because that's what Venom wanted to do. And they need to get off the, off the grid for a little while. And while they are there, there is a multiversal glitch that happens. They end up in the same hotel room in se- seemingly a different universe. And, the J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson report is on the screen showing Tom, uh, Tom, I'm getting all my Toms mixed up. Not Tom Hardy, not Tom, Tom Hiddleston, Holland. Tom Holland, mm-hmm. uh, all H's as well. So that's, that's yes. hard. But showing the Tom Holland Spider-Man on the screen in Venom's like that, you know, he's basically, he's like, that's who I want to go after. Mm-hmm. So huge, crazy theatrical moment. I feel like everybody in the theater's minds were blown by that confirms that Venom is crossing over into the MCU somewhat for this Spider-Man movie and will appear in Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes. So, first of all, your reaction to that, and then we'll talk about Venom as a commercial property, like I teased it earlier. Yeah, with, I mean, from the onset, the relationship between Spider-Man and Disney, Spider-Man, Sony, and the Spider-Man MCU has been tentative. Uh, as soon as Civil War came out, Sony's like, never mind, he's ours, we're taking him back, you know? <laughs> and they were seemingly immediately like green lighting all of these Spider-Man films. And then, of course, they reached a deal as they as Disney always does. And they said, no, 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 we, we had an agreement. Let's keep it. This will benefit both of us down the long run. Let's work together. Let's, let's uh, shake hands from across the aisle. And Sony has somehow figured that out to the best degree to have Spider-Man's biggest and baddest villain into the MCU. Um, he's an alien. He's an alien parasite. Of course he should be in the MCU with the direction that they've gone, uh, that they're going into space. Uh, Venom could play both sides, you know? He could he could very easily uh, try to destroy some of the uh, Marvel heroes or team up with them for a brief period of time, get what he wants and roll out. Eat one of them? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. But the fact that 
he is crossing over into the MCU is exciting, but it also has a couple of uh, questions as far as production goes. Yep. Um, yeah, I think all good points. I think, you know, Sony very wisely realized a long time ago um, that their their properties, their Spider-Man properties, their Spider-Man universe is at its peak value when it is tied into the MCU. Duh. Um, what I think makes them really smart is not realizing that, but forcing Disney to execute that way. That's what makes them really smart because I'll bet you they came to Disney and said, we need our characters in the MCU, but we're still going to own them and we're still going to get money from it. And at any given time we can pull them back. And Disney was like, no freaking way. We're agreeing to that. What are you nuts? First of all, it can't work. It can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And Sony's like, Oh yeah. Yeah, it can. We're going to make it work. You're going to make it work. <laughs> Kevin Feige. I, that's how I imagine those negotiations going down. They had all the leverage and kudos to them for playing their hand. I mean, I think they've done, as much as it aggravates me, because I would love to have all the characters in one place, safe and sound, um, you know, they're they're doing the right thing. And, and as you sort of alluded to, Venom ending up in the MCU in some limited capacity or maybe full capacity was always the way that this was going to end. It always had to build towards that. So now the question becomes is, what does that mean, Venom in the MCU? Because the way that I look at it is... You know, for my money, Venom is a great character. And in fact, I, I, I've grown to really like the Tom Hardy, uh, Eddie Brock, and Venom uh, overall. But he's a good character that's tied to two maybe slightly above average films uh, or, or maybe, you know, depending on who you're talking to, two, two mediocre films or one mediocre and one above average film, what have you. But he this character does not have the depth of original character solo content that the other MCU characters have. So while, you know, when you think about Venom as a commercial property, I was immediately excited that, that Venom is joining in the MCU, but I'm also like, you know, those, those Venom movies don't look like the MCU and they're not MCU mm -hmm. quality really. So it's, it's kind of a weird feeling, but I, I do think that overall I'm leaning towards very excited here. Yeah, I think they definitely have to redesign him in when he is placed in the world of the MCU. Um, kind of like uh, one of our favorite recent movies, Tom and Jerry. You know, they couldn't just draw the Tom and Jerry <laughs> from their original time or from their original production value. They had to up the ante, just like Space Jam, right? Space Jam, a new legacy. They had to uh, redraw them to make them work in the world. So I think that we're going to get a little bit of that with Venom, even though it's such a new property. They can't just tell the VFX team to just go ahead and say, yeah, just just copy and paste. Like, that won't work, and it won't look right. But I feel like the um, the excitement, the energy, the movement is all right for Venom. Um, maybe they'll dust off, you know, the old uh, Spider-Man 2 uh, blueprints and say, here we go. Let's let's do that again. Yeah, toe for grace. Yes, he, <laughs> he pops. He gets overtaken. <laughs> yeah, when Tom, yeah, they, they go back to New York and... and uh, Toby McGuire's there and he's Peter Parker and he's like wait you're not Venom and then Topher Grace shows up and he's like surprise yeah someone punches Venom so hard <laughs> that his parasitic uh, blob flies off of Tom Hardy and onto Topher Grace briefly I love it I love it all of these are great options um, <laughs> but yeah I, I mean I'm excited about it I think you and I are both excited about it, it 
it was an exciting, the visceral reaction right away or like the gut reaction was excitement, like lots of excitement. I was very giddy about it. So I think it will be good. I'm trying not to overthink it. The other thing that I'm woke, I'm woke on this right now is oh. that the multiversal glitch that happens in this post credit scene is very Spider-Verse. Like it, it, we haven't really seen a multiversal glitch per se in the MCU. And so when this happened, it immediately conjured up spider verse vibes in the way that it went down. And so I don't know, man, I'm still hoping for miles Morales to hop out of into the spider verse and into <laughs> no way home. I know that that's a stretch and a half, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. If it does happen, I don't think so. I think this will be good. I think it'll happen. Yeah. December 17th. I hope so, man. It's going to be, it's just with each passing day, it gets more, more and more exciting, more and more exciting. Thank you for listening to this episode of popcorn for breakfast. Our executive producer is Ryan Spriggs and our original music is by rhetoric. You can check them out on Spotify, Apple music, and Amazon music. We are on Facebook at popcorn, the number four breakfast, as well as Twitter and Instagram at PFB underscore podcast. Check the description to find out how you can connect with us on Discord, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitch. If you like this episode, please subscribe, like, comment, rate, or review. And if you want more, you can find all of our episodes and videos on popcorn4breakfast.com. We'll see you next time.